Welcome to First Baptist Church. I'm John Bell. Uh, for those of you who do not uh, know me, I am filling in for uh, Todd Green, our music pastor. Um, he is away singing with Trademark uh, today, and so he asked it, me to fill in. And so we have a wonderful group of people behind me to make this all go, go well. But uh, we're here to worship the Lord today, and I just ask that you guys stand up and let's sing I Am. no space that his love can't reach there's no place that we can't find peace there's no end to amazing grace take me with your arms spread wide take me like an orphan child never let go never leave I am holding on to you. I am holding on to you. In the middle of the storm, I am holding on. I am. Love like this, oh my God, to find. I am both. on fire I am holding on to you I am holding on to you in the middle of the storm I am holding on I am holding on to you I am holding on to you in the middle of the storm I am holding on, I am. This resurrection song, this is my hallelujah come. This is why it's to you I run. to you. 
Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. You heard it right here on the video. We've got an incredible Mothers of Preschoolers uh, ministry in our church, and we'd love to invite you to be a part of it. So if that is you and you have young kids, please go see Kylene in the parlor when the service is over. And it's a great ministry uh, to get involved in. Maybe you've got young kids, man, they've got a, a need for help. And so come and serve and be a part of, of the MOPS program. It's a, it's a great program to be a part of. Well, welcome to First Baptist Church. I know Johnny already welcomed you. We just want to, again, say welcome. We're excited that you're here. And if you're a guest with us, you'll see one of these little white guest registration cards there in the pew rack in front of you. And if you can take just a moment to fill that out for us, uh, ask a few simple questions and, and uh, help, helps us to get to know you just a little bit. You can indicate on there ways that we can pray for you. And you can indicate on there to receive our newsletter. Our newsletter is full of information about the things that are going on in our church, just like MOPS. And so we want to be able to, to keep you guys informed about those things. It's a great way for you to be able to connect with us and for us to be able to connect with you. And then just uh, a few minutes later, later on in the service, you can drop this in the offering plate. Let's take just a second to greet those around you, say hi to them, and then we'll continue to worship. Heart of your children singing, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. This is the anthem of church bells ringing, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. This is the groan of creation rising, this is the thunder of hope igniting, this is the roar of the saints inviting their King. Hear your peace. Shout, come Lord Jesus, hear your church cry out, come Lord Jesus, this is the hope we're holding on to, this is the song we're waiting for you, come, come and take us home, come Lord Jesus, come. The prayer of the bride in waiting. Come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. Searching the sky and tears of pain. Come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. Hasten the day of the trumpet sounding. Hasten the day of the nations bowing. Come in the clouds, all of heaven crowning you, King. Hear your peace. Shout, come Lord Jesus, hear your church cry out, 
Remember your people, deliver your people forever and ever. Jesus, remember your people, deliver your people forever and ever. Jesus, remember your people, deliver your people forever and ever. Jesus, remember your people, deliver your people forever and ever. Hear your Shout, come Lord Jesus, hear your church cry out, come Lord Jesus, this is the hope we're holding on to, this is the song we're waiting for you, come, come and take us home, come Lord Jesus, hear your people shout, Come, Lord Jesus, hear your church cry out. Come, Lord Jesus, this is the hope we're holding on to. This is the song we're waiting for you. Come, come and take us home. Come, Lord Jesus, come, come and take us home. Come, Lord Jesus, come, come, Lord Jesus, come, come, Lord, come, come, Lord Jesus, come, come, Lord, come, come, Lord Jesus, come, come, Lord, sin runs deep, your grace is more, where grace is found, is where you are, and where you are. 
my song to rise to you. When temptation comes my way, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Traded a crown for a cross. You laid down your life for a stranger and for all who are broken and lost. You came down from the heavens so we told us we're never alone. You came down from the heavens so we would know how deep, how high, how long, and how wide, and how far love goes. To the ends of the earth you have So far from you, Lord, Jesus, you paid the price. What a great sacrifice you have made to call us your own. You came down from the heavens so we
please bow with me. Father, we thank you for this day. Again, we thank you for all your many blessings and gifts. Um, we're thankful that you came down uh, from heaven um, to die for our sins. Father, we, uh, we praise you for that. And we just ask um, that today as we come here and that we worship you, uh, Father, that, um, that we seek you and that we find you here. Um, help us to take all of our minds and thoughts off of everything else focus them solely on you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you, John. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship to give praise to the one true God through his son, Jesus, this morning. Joy to be with you. Uh, last Sunday was our launch Sunday, our first Sunday of our new church here. We got off to a great beginning. Uh, 85% of the people who were in worship last week were in a connection group. We'd like to have that even higher because we believe everybody ought to be in a connection group. I know some people are very first-time guests and this is the first time you come, but we want to encourage you to move to a connection group. So right after this, there'll be an opportunity for you to go to the Welcome Center and find that. We got off to a great start Wednesday night. Had a lot of new folks here Wednesday night, so if you didn't get connected then, I want to encourage you to, to, to join us this Wednesday night for supper, for prayer meeting. Uh, we'll be uh, uh, praying this Wednesday, especially for college students, as we send a lot of college students off. So join us in prayer meeting at 6 o'clock. Our Christian Development Program classes got started last week. You could get involved in those. Youth worship, radius, all the other things, choir rehearsal. So I encourage you to be a part of Wednesdays. Get off to a great week and launch week. I'm sharing a series of sermons this month. Tim will always be sharing a couple of these. Uh, entitled... Prepared to give an answer. The title comes from 1 Peter 3.15 that says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So the Bible says that we as believers ought to be ready. Are you ready? Are you prepared to give an answer? The word also is translated defense. Can you defend what you believe? That's what this series is about. And we're supposed to do this with gentleness and respect, not the outrage that characterizes our culture today, but with gentleness and respect to be able to answer those who have different views. I'll share with you another introductory verse today that sort of explains why we're doing this series. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy that depend on tradition and elemental spirits and forces of the world rather than on Christ. So we're looking in these five weeks of this series at five worldviews that I think are hollow and deceptive philosophies and that many people in our culture are be ta being taken in by these worldviews. So we don't want you as a believer in Christ, to be taken captive to these hollow and deceptive philosophies. Last week we started, the first week, the first of these philosophies we looked at was naturalism. Are you prepared to answer naturalism? Naturalism just means nature is all there is. There's no supernatural, there's no God, there's no soul. It's just stuff, matter and energy is all there is. And, and we learned that we can answer that because where did the universe come from? It makes far more sense to believe that it had a cause. Naturalists say it had a beginning. So why did it begin? We believe there was something before the natural that was superior to the natural, and that is God who caused it to come into being. 
Well, today, we're going to look at a second of these hollow and deceptive philosophies, these worldviews that are counter to the Christian worldview. And today, we're going to look at how to answer postmodernism and relativism. And you may say, well, that's a mouthful. I don't think I've ever encountered anybody who believes whatever in the world that is, but I think all of us have, and increasingly so. So let's, let's try to understand what that is. Postmodernism is based on the question, what is truth? The key question is, what's the source of truth? So if you think of pre-modernism, before the modern era, modern era, people said truth comes from God. God gives truth. During the modern era, it's sort of like we looked at naturalism last week, truth comes from reason. We've, we've gotten the enlightenment and the industrial revolution, and we know all this stuff now. So reason and logic, modernism would say, is the source for truth. So postmodernism or after modernism, is a day that we live in now where people have sort of gotten disillusioned with reason. It just hasn't answered all of our questions, has it? We still have violence and wars and all of these things. So postmodernism says there is no objective truth. Postmodernism says that truth is subjective, that what's true for you might not be true for me, that there's no grand story. Postmodernists like to talk about the story. There's no grand narrative. Everybody just has to live out your own story. And so if I say Jesus is the way to God, the postmodernists will tack for you onto that statement. They won't deny it. They'll just say, that's just true for you, but it's not true for me. So that there's no absolute truth. Everybody just has to find your own truth. And I say Jesus is the way to God. And you say, well, that's just true for you, but it's not true for me. That's postmodernism. Relativism is related, other side of the same coin, about right and wrong. And relativism would say there's no absolute right and wrong, that it's just all relative. So again, if, if I say, you know, maybe, maybe you're child comes home from college and she's living with some guy and you say honey that's that's not right it's wrong to live together before you're married and the child responds it was wrong for you it's not wrong for me that's a postmodernist kind of viewpoint that's a relativistic kind of viewpoint that this may be true or right for you but it's not true or right for me so that there's no absolute right or wrong and everybody has to find your own right or wrong and that viewpoint characterizes a lot of our culture today that's postmodernism or relativism a couple of more things about relativism uh, relativism would say that truth claims are just power plays so if I claim to have the truth and know the truth and tell you a truth it's probably because I just want to reinforce my own position of power. So if I say to you abortion is wrong, then the relativist is, responds, that's just a straight white guy saying that so he can stay in power over women. You see how, uh, what, what, you've heard that before, haven't you, from Hollywood, from, from Washington today? And so that's a relativistic viewpoint that truth claims, that's just power statements so that those of you in power can keep power over us. Finally, I would say about relativism, relativism 
says that those who believe in absolute truth and absolute right and wrong are intolerant and relativism claims to be much more tolerant. We're going to look at those, those truth claims, those views. But let me give you just one illustration of what to sort of illustrate postmodernism and relativism. Show you a picture. Do you remember this picture on the internet in 2015, just a few years ago? It was an internet sensation, went viral. Some mother of the bride was going to a wedding, posted a picture of her dress, and it caused a big controversy about what color is this dress? What do you see that to be? And people on the internet were weighing in, and some said it's a blue dress with black trim, and others said, no, it's a white dress with gold trim. And everybody started weighing in about how they saw that. And Taylor Swift said, it's obviously a blue dress with black trim. And Katy Perry responded, no, it is a white dress with yellow trim. Kim Kardashian said it's white and yellow, but her husband Kanye West said, no, it is blue with black. And so everybody was weighing in on this. You look at it and see what you see. And you see, that's just relativism exemplified there. That's the viewpoint that the, everybody has their own truth about this dress, and it's what it is to you. And everybody's going to see it differently, so there's no absolute truth, but it's all relative to your perspective or your viewpoint. That sort of illustrates where our, uh, you want to you weigh in on it, by the way? How many of you think it's blue with black trim? How many of you think it's white with gold trim? Oh, see, we got a little bit of that, that there. See, isn't that amazing? So there's no truth, is there? It's all just relative. The dress was a certain color. It may appear differently there, but it was a certain color. All right, so what's the biblical worldview? Contrary to what postmodernism and relativism would say, what does the Bible say about these issues of truth and where you find truth? Well, let's look at the scripture together. And first of all, we find that truth exists, the Bible says, and it comes from God. God is true. He's the God of truth, and truth springs from his nature. Let me read to you Isaiah chapter 45, verse 19. God says, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. So God is a God who always speaks the truth, he is truth, and he is the one who declares what's right. It says the same kind of truth claim about his son Jesus. John 18, 37, Jesus tells us the reason he came into the world, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And he said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus says there is truth and I come to testify to it. And in John 16, 13, Jesus said, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. So all three persons of the Trinity speak about their truth claims, that they are truth, that they speak truth, and that they guide us into truth. The Father, the Son, and here the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. And the written word of God, the Bible, is the truth. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed for us before he died. Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so Jesus claims that there is objective and knowable truth, and it's found in his word, the Bible. Secondly, as we look at a biblical worldview, we would see on this issue that the Bible says that 
that right and wrong come from the nature of a holy God. What's the standard? What's the reference point? How do we know what's right and wrong? Well, God is a God who is holy, and the requirements of holiness flow from His nature. First Peter first, chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says, Just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. The standard of what's holy and good and righteous comes from the God who is those very things. And then the Bible tells us that God placed a sense of right and wrong in our consciences or in our hearts. Let me read it to you in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Paul writes, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law even those who don't have the revealed Old Testament law, do by nature things required by the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. Paul says that the moral nature has been put into us by God that you have a conscience and that even those who do not have the full revelation of the word know there is a right and know there is a wrong now certainly you can corrupt your conscience when you start uh, when you start ignoring it and you can even the Bible says sear your conscience so you don't have any concept of right and wrong but there is put within you that moral nature that comes because you're created in the image of God who is a holy God and you're created even in your conscience unless you have seared it or corrupted it with some sense of there is a right and there's a wrong so the biblical worldview says that there's truth and there's uh, absolute right and wrong it's knowable and it comes by the nature of God so we got these two worldviews right so how do how do we how do we analyze these I'm sharing something with you in almost each of these sermons that I think is just a helpful technique to remember called Chew and Spit. Chew and Spit. It comes from a book that I recommend to you if you want to read more on basic apologetics called Mama Bear Apologetics. It's the best book that I've read recently on this subject that we're looking at here. And the title comes because a mama bear protects her cubs, right? And so you mama bears, this is written by mothers, by women, to women, but it applies to everyone saying, you need to be vigilant, you keep your kids off the street so they don't get run over, you make them brush your teeth, you need to teach them truth because their worldview is under attack when you send them out into the world. So you need to roar like a mama bear. A great, great truth here, and I commend that book to you. We have it in our bookstore, you can get it. Uh, if you'd like to, there's also a website, Mama Bear Apologetics. Well, one of the things that they teach is to teach your kids to chew and spit. That is that everything they hear, the information, the truth claims that come into their life, you chew on them. We're not just closed-minded that we reject them. You chew on them, you decide what to swallow and what you cannot swallow, and you spit it out, right? And so be discerning. The Bible teaches us to be discerning in what we, the, the, the things that people say to us. So don't teach your kids not to swallow everything, but to chew on it and spit. So let's practice chew and spit in relationship to postmodernism moral relativism want to chew on them uh, because there's some things that we want to affirm uh, I would say to parents don't just be totally against everything that your kids say 
it is from the most legalistic uh, backgrounds of people who would never, uh, never have a conversation that some p- kids react and go the other way and deny their faith. Many of those in this generation that we're seeing who completely deny their faith have come from a background where there was, there was a complete legalism and uh, no sense of discernment. So I want to affirm some things from about postmodernism. We agree that reason doesn't have all the answers. Uh, we believe that, that reason is limited and there's a need for more. But, but that doesn't mean there's no truth. You're just going in the wrong direction when you say there's no truth. We agree that there are moral dilemmas. There are gray areas that are hard for us to discern about. We agree with that. But that doesn't mean there's no absolute truth. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1, here's a good sort of case study for us as we think about relativism and absolute truth. In Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, tells of a time when the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians were afraid of the burgeoning population of the Israelites and wanted to have population control, wanted to kill off all the baby boys. And so it says in Exodus 1.15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he thr- uh, uh, wait a minute, I'll skip place, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on a delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him, but if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why are you doing this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. So the relatives would say, see, this just proves what we've been saying. The, here the, uh, you're, you say you're supposed to obey government, and here they disobeyed the king. And then when the king asked them about it, they lied. That's one of the Ten Commandments. It's just relative. Sometimes you lie, sometimes you don't lie. It's just everybody has to find their own truth and what's for you. It's all relative, right? And it seems like God blessed these uh, midwives when they lied to Pharaoh, doesn't it? He made them, them prosper and increase. And so a relativist will look at that passage and say, see, there's no absolute truth. Now, so what we want to admit and recognize is it's tough sometimes to make moral decisions in a fallen world in which we live. In a a perfect world, we would would obey government, and we're supposed to obey government, except when it contradicts God. As Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. So there are some higher values there. Well, what about this lying thing? Is it okay sometimes to lie? Again, in a fallen world, there's sometimes that, It's probably okay for a Christian to lie. If you're in a Walmart and a gunman comes in and says, I'm here to shoot the manager, I don't think you have to say, he's hiding behind that counter right there. I think it's okay for you to say, he went out the back, why don't you go out the back too? I I, I think that's okay. But that's not relativism. That's a hierarchy of values with one fixed reference point that we're going to honor God above everything. And in a fallen world where there are broken people, there's going to be some moral dilemmas sometimes. We freely admit that. We've got to struggle to know the will of God, but that doesn't mean there's a fixed reference. It means there's still a fixed reference point of what is absolutely true, that we want to honor God. 
Relativism would, would have to say it, it might be right for you to shoot the manager and it might not be right for you to shoot the manager. It's just relative. We believe in that fixed reference point of honoring God. There's some things you chew on, things you spit out. Let's apply this chew and spit to this idea of tolerance because you're going to hear that a whole lot from relativists that people like me who believe in absolute truth are intolerant and that people who believe in relativism are far more tolerant. And that sounds right at first as you start to chew on it because if a, if a person says, oh, that's right for you, but it's not right for me, that sounds tolerant, right? But it doesn't work out that way. And let me just illustrate in a quote. So I got a quote I want to put up here on the screen. I'll tell you the background of it. So you know the U.S. women's soccer team did great this year, World Cup. And so there was a, um, uh, there, there was a, there's a player named Jaylene Hinkle who in 2017 declined to be called up to the World Cup team uh, because they were going to wear an LGBT pride jersey and she felt because of her faith that it would just not be right for her to wear that jersey and so she declined to be called up and then she was left off of the 2019 team even though she's recognized as one of the best backers in the in the United States and so here's a tweet in response to that that one member of the team Ashlyn Harris tweeted to Jaylene Hinkle here read listen to these two sentences and chew on them you would never fit into our pack or what we stand for. Hinkle, our team, is about inclusion. Now, would you think about those two statements? Do those two statements fit together? You'd never fit into our pack. We're about inclusion. That's the, it's, that sounds pretty, you know, the problem with tolerance today? It's really intolerant. That's the problem with tolerance today. And so, really, uh, uh, that... That statement is revealing that relativism is not so intolerant. It, it means that we're going to tolerate those whom we agree with. We spit that out. That's just not a truth claim today. Well, how, we, how should we respond to, uh, to relativism and uh, postmodernism? You know, one of the things that we can do is simply to, to ask, to point out how inconsistent it is. If you say that there's no truth and that everything is relative, are you willing to say that the Holocaust was relative? Might have, wasn't right for me, might have been right for Hitler. We can't say. Are you willing to say that rape and human trafficking and slavery and murder, wrong for me, might not be wrong for you? Boy, that, oh, that just grates on us, doesn't it? It doesn't make sense because we know that that's not true. All of us, nobody's really a consistent relativist. We just use that when it's convenient for us and there's something real. But all of us, in the core of our beings, know that there are some things that are wrong. And thank goodness we're not consistent. And so some way we can respond is just point out that leads to all kind of atrocities. Nobody's really a consistent relativist to say in every case, I can't make any moral judgment about that or let me put it another way if you go to the airport and get on an airplane do you want a postmodernist building your airplanes do you want a postmodernist that when you say is this airplane does it fly well it, it flies for me it might not fly for you you know I want a modernist building my airplanes don't you I want somebody who believes there is truth there is uh, there are there are laws and I'll put it this way, do you want a, uh, a, modern, a postmodernist as an electrician wiring your house? And you say, 
Is that circuit grounded? Grounded for me. Might not be grounded for you. No, I want somebody who knows some principles and believes there are laws established in our universe. There is a, uh, there is a postmodernist movement in architecture. Show you a picture of what was called the first postmodernist building in uh, the United States was the Wexner Center on the campus of Ohio State University. And so the architect said the building is to represent that there is no absolute truth that there's no right and wrong, and so there are in this building columns that just come part, that don't do anything. You can see on the right there a column that just sort of hangs from the, and then you can see on the left one that comes down in the middle of a staircase. It's, it's not doing anything, it's just, just put a column, but it's saying that life is meaningless, there's no truth, there are stairways that go nowhere. I think I've got another picture of uh, inside of this building in the Wexner Center. Here's a stairway. It doesn't go anywhere. It just goes up to the top there and ends. Again, the point of this building was to say we live in a postmodernist world. There is no absolute truth. There is no, uh, there's nothing that's right or that's wrong. So it's just filled with these meaningless things, columns that hang from the ceiling, stairways that don't go anywhere. But you know what the deal is? They had to use real architectural principles to build the building. The foundation is not made out of things that don't make sense. They had to use real principles to make that. It, you could have a facade of postmodernism. It can look like things go nowhere. But the structure of the building itself will not stand unless there's some real principles there. And it's that way in our lives as well. You can live with a claim that this, that there's a, but you have no foundation for life. And I want to point you to one if you feel that way, and you may very well feel, man, there's nothing fixed. It's all relative. There is one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. He embodies truth. His name is Jesus. And he can be your North Star, your fixed point of reference. He can be the foundation of your life. He said, if anyone hears my word and believes him who sent me, he'll be like a man who built his house on the rock. And the storms come and it does not fall. If you're looking for meaning, for truth, for purpose, there is a fixed reference point to our universe. His name is Jesus, the God of truth, the one who created all things, the one who established right and wrong, righteousness and evil, and the boundary between the two. And he can give you meaning and purpose in your life if you'll build your life upon him. Would you bow with me in prayer? Oh God, in our postmodernist world, I pray that you would help us as believers to be discerning, to be humble, to be truly tolerant. I pray that you would help us nonetheless to stand firm on the truth, the objective, absolute moral truth that comes from you and is revealed in your word. Help us to do this with gentleness and respect. And Lord, I pray for those who might be here today who just feel like they're a ship without a rudder, they feel lost, they feel like nothing is nailed down in their lives they, they don't know what to base their lives on 
And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, would lead them into all truth and help them to see that truth is a person, is Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that they would, for today, say, I will stand upon the truth of Jesus and find my direction and my meaning in relationship to Him. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song of invitation. And if today you're looking for something to give you stability in a world that seems to be so unstable, I would call you to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You want to come and follow Him, be baptized, ready to become a Christian, walk down one of these aisles, meet me here. If you need a church home in the same way, come and meet me or one of our pastors here at the front. It's a way of indicating I want to be a part of this fellowship. Need somebody to pray with you? Somebody would be glad to do that. If God speaks to your heart, would you come? into these dry and thirsty souls. Lord, hear our prayer. Forgive our sin. And as we call on your name, for your glory to dwell. Open the blind eyes, unlock the deaf ears, come to your people as we draw near. Hear us from heaven, touch our generation. We are your people, crying out in desperation. Lord, hear our cry. Come heal our land. Breathe life into As we call on your name, would you make this a place for your glory to dwell? Open the blind eyes, unlock the deaf ears, come to your people as we draw near. Hear us from heaven, touch our generation. Thank you. You'd be seated, please, if you will. We're going to give our offerings now.
as we give back to God. We worship Him. If you have a guest card, you're welcome to place that in the offering plate as well. If you're a guest, I'd love to meet you after our uh, closing. I'll be at the Welcome Center. have a small gift for first-time guests. It's on this way toward guest parking. Come by and see me. I'd love to meet you and visit with you. Thank you for being here today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we have a place to come to that we can anchor your truth in our lives. As we go out and be in this fallen world, help us to prepare to, to give the truthful answers to your, with your guidance. Guide us as we use these tithes and offerings to do your will. In your son's name we pray. As we close here today, we have just a couple of quick announcements. Remember, if you're interested in MOPS or in being involved in that ministry in some way or serving to help them, uh, you can see Kyleen Foster in the parlor as you're exiting the doors or head down to your left. If you're a first-time guest with us, our lead pastor just exited, and he'll be down there at the welcome desk as well. So, again, out the doors and down to your left. Um, there's several important announcements there in your worship guide. I did misspeak, or miss, uh, I misspoke last week about the shoes for orphan souls, so I wanted to clarify that. That's new shoes only. Uh, I, I think I said gently used or new shoes, and so it's not gently used, uh, only new shoes um, to be dropped in that bin that's right outside here between us and the bank. You can see that there's volunteers needed for the Good Samaritan uh, ministry as well. And then we have available today Rush of Fools concert tickets that can be purchased at the welcome desk. And so if you want to go down there and pick some up, uh, that's either cash or check only. 
And so there is a, a fee if you go on to the Eventbrite. That's like any concert ticket or anything. If you buy a ticket online, there's a service charge and a fee. And so if you want to prevent from having to pay that fee, you can pay $15 cash or check down at the welcome desk. Uh, today they've got those available for you for next Saturday's uh, at 6 o'clock concert here at our church with the Russian Fools. And again, you got to hear a little taste of their uh, music. They're, they're awesome. They're an incredible band, so you won't want to miss out on that. Let me close this in prayer. God, we thank you uh, that we can find truth in you and that we can be a part of a community of Christ followers who love you and, and want to serve you. Father, we thank you for these ministries that are available and, and ways that we can connect with each other and, and be uh, available in each other's lives to, to serve and to help and to have fellowship and just to be with one another. God, we thank you uh, for our church home and our church family. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Your people shout, come Lord Jesus, hear your church cry out, come Lord Jesus, this is the hope we're holding on to, this is the song we're waiting for you, come, come and take us home, come Lord Jesus, hear your people This is the song we're waiting for you. Come, come and take us home. Come, Lord Jesus, come, come and take us home. Come, Lord Jesus.